With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Monday, December 6th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Oinsy, we, uh, in spite of the lockout, we had an election yesterday, and, and there are six new members of, the, of baseball's National Hall of Fame, uh, all chosen by uh, early day committee or early, early game era uh, committee members. Uh, there were two committees that voted uh, yesterday, and uh, among the six uh, elected to the Hall of Fame, uh, former Indians third baseman and outfielder Minnie Minoso, uh, a, a pioneer really in a lot of ways and he, he got his career started in Cleveland yeah and uh Minnie Minoso uh is jo- joined by Gil Hodges Jim Cat, um Tony Oliva uh in the uh golden uh in the uh, golden days era and then uh you know uh, uh Buck O'Neill and Jim Fowler from uh, Negro League players for, uh, from the early days era of the uh, Veterans Committee. So that's a big ballot, Joe. And, uh, and Minnie Minosa was my favorite player. So I, I really had, when I was growing up, so I really liked watching Minnie. So uh, I, I remember watching him dive headfirst into first base, you know, beating out an infield single. I, I'd never seen anybody do that before at the old stadium. I said, man, that, I got to follow this guy. Uh, so how crushing was it for you when they when they traded away Minnie Minoso? Because obviously he he was blocked here in, in Cleveland by guys like Ken Keltner and Al Rosen, who he wasn't going to get uh, to play in front of them. But he turned himself into a pretty good uh, outfielder as well. Uh, won a gold glove in Cleveland and, you know, was was almost uh, an MVP uh, the, the season that he split between Cleveland and Chicago. Yeah, he came back. They they reacquired him, I think, in '58 and '59, and really had hit 302 in consecutive seasons. Um, and this guy played, Joe. He was uh, Bill Veck's favorite guy uh, when Veck owned the White Sox, and he, you know, he kept bringing him back. I think he's mm-hmm. the only player to play in five decades, different decades. So he 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 was playing. I think he played his last game when he was 54. So. Right. Yeah, he was a he he played in the uh, in the eighties, which is crazy. Uh, but he's you know a, a Cuban-born player, sort of one of the, the the in the early days. He played in the Negro leagues, and he he transitioned over into the major leagues as well. Yeah, he had a great career in Cuba before he even got over to the United States. He was playing on the top you know winter league teams in Cuba while working you know you know working at uh, like a tobacco factory. He was working in there or he quit school early to, and his mom and dad were working in the sugarcane fields. And he, he, he worked there and went, started a team on, on one of the sugar plantations 
he was managing like he, when he was 13 years old and playing. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he was a character, man. He was, he was fun, a fun guy to be around. And he was one of the, uh, one of Cleveland, one of the Indians, uh, top 100 players of their first hundred years. He was on that uh, 2001 anniversary team. Uh, so he was back in town uh, for that celebration back in 2001. Uh, just really a, a sort of a beloved player during his time here uh, for all the reasons that you said, but also because, you know, he was, he was sort of like what, uh, what Jose Ramirez is now, you know, in terms of that, that personality that, that people just sort of love to, you know, just point to him and say, hey, he's one of our guys and, and uh, just the way he carried himself. Yeah, I remember Herb Score talking about him. He loved him. He, you know, when Herbie was pitching for the Indians, he really, uh, really liked uh, Minnie. And, uh, you know, he just, you know, he really kind of established himself. He became a star with the White Sox. That's where, you know, I, I would imagine he'll go into the Hall of Fame wearing a White Sox uniform or right. White Sox cap. Right. Uh, I, I, and of the, the six players that were elected, I believe Cot and Oliva are the only ones uh, still living. Uh, Minnie Minoso passed away uh, a few years ago, but, uh, you know, that's like you said, it's a big class. Uh, the class also includes Buck O'Neill, who was uh, uh, a, a really important figure in uh, the Negro Leagues and, and you know, preserving the history of the Negro Leagues as well. Uh, just to, to have him in is, is a, a huge honor and well-deserved for, for Buck O'Neill. Yeah, he's a if you if you I'm sure you've watched Ken Burns uh, documentary on baseball and he's a treat to watch whenever, you know, they, they talk about the Negro Leagues or anything in baseball. You know, Buck, uh, Buck was on there. He was the star of the show. This guy played, coached or managed for eight decades, Joe, in the, in, in the uh, Negro Leagues. He was the first, uh, uh, you know, black scout in, in, in the big leagues in 1962 with the Cubs. He, he scouted, he found a lot of, you know, really talented players uh, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, he, and he, you know, he was, he's associated with the Kansas city Monarchs. Of course, he, he spent almost uh, 20 years, two decades there as a player and a, and a, and a manager. And a, uh, so really, you know, well-deserved. And I know, uh, you know, I think it was 2006 when, uh, you know, uh, uh, the first class of Negro league players got into Cooperstown and, you know, a lot of people were disappointed when, when Buck O'Neill didn't make it. So, so, uh, you know, he, he, he's in there now. I wish he would have been alive when, uh, you know, when he gets, got the induction. So I think that, you know, but uh, he's in there now and he's got his place in history. Right. Yeah. And like you said, uh, there, there are displays and sort of uh, things you can visit in the hall of fame at Cooperstown uh, that, that show the history of the Negro leagues. But to have, you know, these individuals actually enshrined is it, that that's very important to, to, to still have that, you know, and, and in Kansas City, we've, we've seen and we've been to the the uh, the Negro League Museum there and, and that the history and, and everything that's there. But but Cooperstown is Cooperstown and having your name on a plaque on the wall in Cooperstown, that's different. And that's it, it really sets you apart. And, you know, Buck O'Neill was a Hall of Famer before they ever elected him. Uh, to this uh, to this honor last night, but uh, certainly uh, well deserved as well. I didn't know just reading up on these uh, these bios here. Jim Cott had 16 Gold Gloves. That's uh, you know that's uh, that alone right there. You value defense once in a while. I, I, we we can get into later on. We can talk about 
you know, Omar Vizquel and the obstacles that he faces, but, uh, you know, with all of his gold gloves anyways, but Jim Cott's got 16 gold gloves. That's, that's enough to, you know, at least warrant a, a, a longer look for me uh, prior to having to go in through a, a committee vote. Yeah. I think Cott was on there that this was before uh, they changed the eligibility rule. I think he was on the ballot for 15 years, Joe, all 15 wow. years. And I voted for him every year. I, I thought a guy that wins two wins 283 games should, should be in the hall of fame. You know, <laughs> he was a lot like a uh, Bert Blylevin. and, you know, Blylevin what won 288 and uh, it took him for until his 15th and final year of eligibility to get in. Cott uh, didn't make it. Tommy John, another guy, uh, you know, with a bunch of wins didn't make it. And that was, you know, so I think they got caught when, in, in uh, you know, kind of a new wave of voters that devalued the win. But this is a guy that I thought I thought deserved to be in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. Yeah, it's, you know, one more really good season. You pick up 17 wins back when he's playing, and, and maybe, you know, you're an automatic with 300 wins uh, regardless. But, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, with a new wave of voters, with some younger voters who, who look at statistics a little differently – you know, 300 wins uh, doesn't really carry as much weight as some of the other statistics that they will throw out there for you. And plus, like you said, the 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 eligibility windows now are different, right? That, you know, he was on for 15 years. You, you might sort of get, uh, you know, forgotten or lost until those those last couple of years where you get that bump in, the, in your your second, third or fourth final year uh, of, of voting there. Uh, so we'll see how that happens. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get into uh, and talk here in a, in a minute or two about, you know, the names that are on the, the list now and, uh, you know, just sort of different voting philosophies. But it's just interesting to see how these these different veterans committees now, these di different incarnations of these veterans committees, uh, you know, look at and value players differently than, you know, sort of the guys who are currently on the ballot. Uh, a guy like Roger Maris is still on that, uh, you know, on the committee ballot. Uh, he didn't get uh, enough votes to, to get in this year. And you said Dick Allen only missed by one. Yeah, you needed 12 votes to get in, Joe. Uh, Dick Allen, Richie Allen uh, uh, missed by one. Uh, you know, great, great power hitter for the Phillies and, and the White Sox. I remember, you know, he was kind of a bad boy, you know, he, would, mm -hmm. he, uh, he the, the Philadelphia fans gave him a going over and he gave it right back to him. I remember he was playing first base once and I saw this picture of him, like, like they were booing him and he wrote boo in his, in the, in the dirt, of, in the dirt. around first base with his cleats <laughs> while he was playing. There. Well, so, we, we, we know that Philly fans are a different breed uh, altogether. So, but he had, he had big time power and, uh, He's from PA too. I think he was from uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, so uh, hopefully he gets in one day. You know, he. I think he'll. He's, he's pretty close. And and uh, you know the the Golden Days era committee. Uh, you know, judges players uh, from I, I believe 1950 to 1969 that mm -hmm. era. And mm -hmm. the uh, you know the early baseball uh, uh, era goes from 1950 back. So, uh, you know, those are the two, you know, the two cat, the two groups of players, those, those committees were looking at this year. Right. And I guess, uh, you know, Cleveland and Indians fans are, are sort of waiting and, and watching to see when the next uh, modern players, you know, era committee gets together. 
because you know the the name that everybody will will want to talk about then is Kenny Lofton, who uh, for some unseemingly crazy reason was left off the ballot after just one year. He didn't get the required amount of votes uh, in his first year of eligibility to stay on the ballot, and he at least deserved more consideration than than one year. I think that's a a, a travesty that uh, the the modern players committees can can sort of correct maybe uh in in the near future it's a great point joe i know it's left a bitter taste in uh kenny's mouth i uh, need and the thing that happened to him that the year he became eligible is the year clemens uh bonds uh and a bunch of the other uh, you know steroid related players went on the ballot as well and there was a bunch of controversy about that and kenny just didn't get the five percent to uh stay on the ballot so he got kind of lost in the uh in the uh, you know the backwaters of that ballot well what a great way to transition into uh sort of a conversation about the the current uh ballot and what's out there and we've seen some some of those ballots uh been posted and returned already uh i know that the, the, the deadline is the end of this month uh and then the announcement will happen uh around the third week of of january uh, later on uh, next early next year. Um, not going to ask you to reveal anything about your ballot yet. Uh, I, I'm sure that's still under consideration if you haven't already sent it in uh, yourself. But and, and, and I can sort of maybe predict a few of the names that are on that list already just by by knowing you uh, as much as I do and to haven't talked to you a, a lot, you know, for as long as I have. But uh, there are some names that, like you mentioned there, uh, some of the steroid guys, uh, there are some new steroid guys, and there are some guys who are uh, just ending their um, their run on the ballot. Uh, and you just want to go over some of the the people on this list. I mean, you're looking at uh, guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, uh, who else? Manny Ramirez is on the list. Kurt Schilling is on the list. Uh, Bonds, uh, Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling are all in their final year of eligibility uh, on this list, and. You know, we, we had the controversy last year with Kurt Schilling asking to be taken off the list after he got 71% of the vote. And you would think, you know, it's, it, it's getting closer to him actually being elected. And, you know, because of his uh, controversial political stance, that's one of the reasons why uh, he, he wanted to be taken off. But, you know, this all goes back to, uh, you know, the philosophy of uh, either, either you're going to vote for the guys the, the steroid uh, era guys like Bonds and Clemens, or you're not going to, uh, and, and you've been pretty uh, consistent and adamant with your, your stance on this. Yeah, Joe. And uh, you know, I, I do not vote for the, uh, the steroid guys, um, you know, and, and the thing with Schilling, Bonds, Clemens and Sosa, Sammy Sosa, I mean, they're in their last year of eligibility. They're in their 10th year of eligibility. So this is it, you know, whether they make it or not Schilling's, like you said, it's at 71%. And uh, if he hadn't asked the, the, you know, the baseball writers not to vote for him, I would think he'd be a shoo-in. You, know, you, you need 75% of the ballot. Bonds and Clemens are at 61. Bonds at 61.8%. Clemens at 61.6%. And Sosa's at 17%. So I, you know, I, I seriously doubt those guys get in, even though you know, I think, uh, you know, the vote has, has gradually changed for, uh, you know, a lot of opinions have changed on those guys, 
I think people have, uh, have the voting body has, has looked at as it's gotten younger. You know, they said they, they figured the steroid era, you know, everybody was cheating then. Uh, the, so that leveled the playing field. And, you know, there's no disputing Bonds and Clemens were great, were great players. I, I, I'm right. not disputing them, but, you know, I think uh, they, later in their careers, they needed, they, they, they just, you know, went to the dark side to me. And uh, they knew they were cheating. It, there wasn't a, an era of testing, you know, so, you know, that's another thing where a lot of players think, don't think that's a, I mean, a lot of voters don't think that's a problem. But uh, these guys knew what they were doing. So that, you know, that's where, that's where I stand on that. And Schilling, I still haven't decided if I'm going to vote for him or not. Uh, you know, I, I voted for him through the, uh, through the years. Uh, you know, I think that, that that bloody sock game was, was, you know, that was, I thought he, he earned his, earned, uh, you know, Cooperstown right there when he, you know, in, in that mm-hmm. game. But you know, and I tried not to pay attention to his political views, but, you know, last year was, may have been a tipping point for me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get into a little bit more about that uh, in a moment. I just wanted the question I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned all those other steroid era guys, Um, you know, it, it, your stance on this makes it so that you can't vote for Manny Ramirez, who was also, you know, a, a guy who's had positive tests and, has been banned uh, for, you know, suspended and, and all that. I mean, this was a guy who you watched one of the, the, the best hitters you've ever seen uh, for the team that you covered and you can't vote for him for the hall of fame. That's gotta be just, you know, crazy for you to, to have to deal with that. He's the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen, Joe. And, and, it, and it kills me not to be able to vote for him, but, you know, unlike Bonds and, and, and Clemens and Sosa, who never tested positive because testing wasn't in line then, or wasn't, you know, wasn't the order of the day then, you know, Manny tested positive twice, at least twice. So, you know, and you've got, you know, there's other guys on the ballot right now, you know, Manny's in his sixth year. He's, you know, he's, he's kind of hovered around 28 to 30% of the vote. You know, Gary Sheffield, Andy Pettit, you know, two other guys associated with steroids. Um, you know, uh, Sheffield is, this is his eighth year, you know, he, and, uh, he's got around 40% and Pettit, this is his fourth year and he's like 13%. So, you know, those guys got a big mountain to climb. Yeah. And there's new guys on the ballot this year in Alex Rodriguez and, uh, David Ortiz. And both of those guys have, have, have tested positive in the past. And, you know, this is, it, it's not an easy thing to have to, to sort of weed through that if it were just left to what they did on the field, regardless of you you strip away all the other conversation about politics, about, you know, steroids or anything like that. If you just looked at what they did when they stepped into the batter's box or onto the mound, you know, the the hall of fame would be a lot more full right now with these. There are so many worthy guys on this ballot. Who do you think does get in this year? Oh boy. That's a great question. Uh, if anybody, because you know, it's possible that they don't elect anybody. Yeah. I mean, Ortiz, you know, I guess, you know, it, it's kind of a separate case to me. I mean, I know in that, what, 2003, when they were supposed to have the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the unidentified testing where, the, where mm-hmm. the union was trying to decide 
if they really needed testing, steroid testing. And his name came out in that. He has denied that, but he never tested positive again. So I guess we've got to, you know, kind of may, maybe move him into a separate, uh, you know, a separate area. But A-Rod's tested positive mm-hmm. a couple times. So, you know, that's a guy that, and, you know, if you, if you were just going by pure statistics, Joe, this is a, this, both those guys are first ballot guys. 600 home run guy. Yeah, I would say so. I, I, I think so. Uh, Bonds might be a little different. Bonds was a great player before he ever touched a steroid, before anything was ever, you know, written or accused or anything like that. He was a, a three-time MVP before any of this, this happened. Uh, do you, do you look at that maybe a little differently? I mean, Clemens too, Clemens won a bunch of Cy Youngs before, Yeah, you know, there was a, a difference there, but, but, Based on that, if their if their careers had ended, you know, at the time right before they started taking steroids, they might still be you know worthy of Hall of Fame induction even yeah, before if, the time they were on on performance enhancers. Bonds probably didn't have to do another thing after he left Pittsburgh. You know, after he went from Pittsburgh to the Giants, he's a Hall of Famer right there. And you know, then what? You know, you read the different books uh, and. Uh, you know, he, he was jealous of the success that Mark McGuire and Sosa were having. So he started, you know, he supposedly reportedly started using steroids and then, you know, just went off the charts. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough, you know, like, like we were talking before that, you know, baseball writers, I don't think we signed up to be the judge, jury and executioner of this thing. And it's almost, you know, I think, you know, you, you kind of sigh, a sigh of relief when, when, if, and when Bonds and Clemens and Sosa, you know, don't make, don't make this, uh, don't get into the hall of fame by vote of the BBWA and are passed on to the, uh, to the veterans committees and uh, they can make, they can decide what to do. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, it, you're no less a hall of famer if you're elected by a veterans committee than if you are elected by the, the writers, but you know, that, that, that sort of does send the message that the, the writers, you know, didn't want to necessarily dirty their hands with that whole, that whole situation. Let the, let the veterans committees deal with it. I think is, is probably the, the, the best approach. Now, uh, before we wrap up here, uh, take another minute or two to talk uh, just about Omar uh, Vizquel, obviously uh, very important to a lot of Indians and and Cleveland fans who, you know, followed his career uh, throughout and, think that you know as far as shortstops go as far as defensive shortstops go uh this was a guy who's was was unmatched in his his era he had no peer defensively uh in the in the 90s and and early 2000s and uh he was he was trending towards and and sort of hurtling towards that whole uh situation where he could be elected uh maybe in his what fourth or fifth year on the ballot and then um allegations of spousal abuse allegations of uh, inappropriate conduct when he was a coach with the with the uh, manager with the the White Sox uh all of a sudden uh you know around this time last year sort of just derailed Omar's you know chances what do you think the chances are that that Omar gets uh, even enough votes to to stay on the ballot now well he got 49% of the vote you know uh, last year uh, this was be you know dur- during when the allegations came out. So it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, where he goes from here. 
you know, like I, you said, Joe, I thought he would be, I didn't think, you know, he wasn't a first ballot guy, but this is his fifth year of eligibility. I thought he would eventually get in, get on and get in, get into the hall of fame. I think he deserves to be in the hall of fame, but uh, these outside, these off the field allegations have really hurt him, I think, and probably will, will stall his, uh, stall his, you know, uh, you know, bid for an election. And unless, you know, something else comes out and, and clears his name. I mean, and even if his name is cleared, I think it might be a, a situation where they, they let him ride off the ballot. And if he's, if he's worthy, a, a modern day committee or something like that elects him after vetting the whole situation with the, the spousal allegations and the, um, and the, the inappropriate conduct as well. So yeah, the, the path to Cooperstown got a lot harder for Omar Vizquel. Uh, I think if you just looked at what he did when he was here in Cleveland and, and even after he left in terms of just his, his play on defense, uh, there's no doubt that he is a guy who's worthy of, of being included in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's, it, it's like we said, uh, those, those things outside that, that sort of change. I, I, I can't blame a baseball writer right now who's looking at that ballot and has to, to weed through all these other things about steroids and, you know, Kurt Schilling's politics and all that other stuff. And for them to maybe not check Omar Vizquel's name on the ballot, because, you know, the, the ballots become public if they want them to. And, and you, you don't want to be the guy that voted for, and if it comes out that Vizquel was, was really guilty of any of these things, uh, you know, your, your name's associated with that vote eventually down the line. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the tough part. And, uh, you know, again, I think strictly as a player, you know, I thought he was a hall of famer and I, you know, I watched him all for 11 years in Cleveland. I really, I really did. I thought he was the best shortstop I've ever seen. So, you know, you know, that's how I felt about him. And it hasn't, his, I haven't changed my outlook on his ability, but, uh, you know, you've got to take into consideration these, you know, these allegations right now. Right. All right, Hoinsey. Uh, good discussion here today about the, uh, the hall of fame and, you know, who's, uh, who's in and, and who should be in and who could be in. Uh, we will find out uh, next month, I guess, who, uh, who makes it uh, lots of, lots of time between now and then. And we'll, uh, we'll give you time to fill out your ballot as well. Uh, we will be back uh, again tomorrow uh, to start looking at some of the, younger prospects that were added to the 40 man roster. Hey, you know what we didn't talk about today? We didn't talk about the lockout. Ah, there's plenty of time to talk about the lockout. (laughs) We'll talk about that tomorrow. Lockout's not going anywhere. We got plenty of time this week. Uh, We'll talk to you again later on the Cleveland baseball talk podcast. We'll talk to you then. All right, Joe.